podcast where we discuss old school role playing from the player's perspective i'm legitimate mustard i play ferrum and i'm here tonight with kel ronan i hobble along as urnkel the gnome and i'm gus i am playing mira the halfling druid thief and i'm cognac and i play jazz the elf and i'm vigagris elithil aka known as vig the Hi, elf cleric magic user who can't understand why the elves don't come home. It's really bothering me. All right. So tonight we um, we went to a, a, a brewery and we purchased some spirits and some mead and some other stuff. We went to the shrine... Nope, that's not right. We went to the brewery, we went to the inn, we drank a little bit. Uh, we, we slept. Slept. Um, we ate some food, we woke up, we ate some more food, we went to the shrine at that point. Then we left town, we said hi to the... Uh, the... I don't know what he was. The guy that wants to give haircuts. Um, the bar- He's a barber, but a fur trader He's as also well. a fur trader, yeah. So we, we waved at him on the way out, and then we went on our uh, merry way uh, towards the north along the uh, the uh, cart path. We met Balda. Yes, but I think that we did that before we saw the fur trader, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and we pissed her off a little bit by giving a treat to her little half-orc friend. Um, well, not we, not we, not we. Not we, no, no, not, not we. we. <laughs> that was all cognac. <laughs> <laughs> um, Children deserve treat. Not that one, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> makes her, makes her real up, upset. To uh, be fair, that child was pissed off before they had a treat. That's so. true. Yeah. Um, so we went to the north. We walked in the snow for a ways and we saw someone laying on the ground it turned out to be an ambush we had a little bit of a battle uh, we had some problems hitting people with weapons for a bit and then we stopped having problems hitting people with weapons for a bit and um, that's kind of where we ended after we killed almost everyone one person got away they did run away for like a quarter of a mile across the, the grass it could be bad uh, it could be and they and they can run away and send back the lesson of absolute fear to not introduce, uh, in, I mean, interfere with us after we absolutely <laughs> massacred them, including the knowledge of our halfling. Oh, the halfling is quite terrifying. Um, we don't yes. really have any murder hobos in this in this um, this Yet. particular campaign, yeah, except for the halfling yes. who really seems to enjoy just 
decimating people. How, no, no, she, how, she enjoys hog playing more. How would you define a murder hobo for everyone that's listening? Oh, murder hobo. That would be someone whose main objective in a Dungeons Dragons game is to kill off NPCs. No plots, no none of that, just pure murder and killing <laughs> So that I, sounds enjoyable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Mira, um, she just knew that there was already a person that we would be able to question, and uh, the risk that this other um, enemy could harm somebody was pretty high. Um, so she just made the decision she did um, to keep everybody safe, and the person did attack us first. That so. is true. That is true, and so very, very you know thoughtful about the safety of the group. Really appreciate that. And say, Mira was not going for murder hoboing. I mean, you were going for a non-lethal incapacitation. I was, but style points for days. I mean, (laughs) yeah. So, so, so that does not count as a murder hobo. No, probably not. No, she's just really good at cutting people up. You You know, legs are kind of what I can reach, so (laughs) it's just the most obvious target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And, and as as Vig said. Hog tying is now one of your specialties. Yeah, that's, so that's a non-weapon proficiency. That's like yeah. goes on your on your character sheet. So and, right and, up there with carpentry. And to be specific, <laughs> yeah. hog tying people. Yes, that's a very specific one. Hog tying people, or not hogs. Not hogs. No. People. People. Camira mm-hmm. could pretty much hog tie any animal or person since she's really good at it. Gonna have to find some more rope. Yeah, you know, at this point, it's probably you're so skilled at it that I'm sure that the, the skill is transferable to kind of anything that has more than mm-hmm. one leg. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> oh, how much do I have left? <laughs> I bet Disan, the bar owner, would love to know about Mira's <laughs> proficiencies. I, I think agree. he would. I think he would like to discover it. Yeah. Organically. Well, Mira only hog ties during life or death or trying to capture someone's situation. You said trying Maybe to she'll expand in yeah. the future. Maybe but... she'll expand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said trying to capture. That yeah. could apply. True. That could <laughs> be totally applicable. Yeah, and Urkel was basically hinting about like making it seem scary and le- not not actually trying to kill somebody, so or or torture them to death, but make it seem seem scarier than it is. It was Urkel's, um, Yeah, I liked Urkel's idea to pitch the two people against each other. Like maybe there's some um, like bonds of friendship or something along those lines that would work in our favor. We could play. So. We could play good cop, and bad. Uh, half yeah. Cop. There you go. I think Vig's, Vig's idea, even though it's against my alignment, is I'm pissed at getting attacked. My feet are cold. I'm away from a, a comfortable bed. So my viewpoint of these two people is: see Morning Star. Do you want to talk, or would you like it to go where it's not supposed to? Your choice. <laughs> There are a lot of places a morning star is not supposed to go. Almost Use everywhere. your imagination. Use your imagination. 
There's there's almost infinite places the Morning Star is not supposed to go. <laughs> Especially when you have a pissed off elf with his feet wet in the snow who walked away from a nice warm bed. And I tell you what, having your feet wet is just really terrible. It's not great. It's, it's not yeah, good, the no. worst thing ever. It is. I, it sucks. I feel like in this campaign, I'm seeing a lot of parallels of the characters we had before. And I think yeah. it's just because that's who we are as people and it's how we play these characters. Like, oh, I'm personally struggling with my innate love of violence playing someone who is chaotic good. So I think that chaotic place is where I'm allowed to have a little bit of violence as long as it's someone I see as evil. And I see the same thing with Vig where he he still loves bars and being and, and, and whistling and being jovial and then with Ferrum you know, you, you still have a lot of um, parallels with your previous character too. Maybe not so much, but... Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I think we can't get away from just by who we are. I absolutely agree. I think it's really difficult um, as a as a as a player who's role playing a character, you know, to to try to be someone that you're not is that's a skill that's a skill for actors and or actresses. What's the what's the actors is fine. Okay. Um, both. Yeah. Okay. So that's a skill that, um, you know, is, is maybe developed over time, maybe developed by experience, but in general, that's something that not everyone can just, can just do. And the people who can, you know, naturally that, well, that makes them really great at role playing. But in general, I think that if you look at the way that people play their, their characters, it's always going to be somewhat of a reflection of who they are and you know maybe it's a part that's more um you know a more private part sometimes or a part that they don't uh, necessarily share with um everyone maybe it's something they, they don't let out in a work environment or that sort of thing but but really you know it's hard to try to be or to play a character without that character being a little bit of you or maybe a lot of you yeah yeah but i, I like think it's overall a... oh, go ahead. I think overall everyone's doing a really good job of like having their own character histories and playing up to that like vig your last your last character was someone who was pretty irresponsible in their decisions and now it seems like most of your decisions have a really good reason for why they're made. But you still have that that character of who wants to just be kind of lavish in in, in what they like. So, yeah, I see yeah. the difference. Well, and also, it's, it's my previous character was chaotic neutral. And this one's chaotic good. Um, the previous character didn't come from an educated background. This one comes from a highly educated background focus so there's a different motivation in here but ultimately because they're both chaotic there's a very similar outlook and trend toward a lot of things there i think he's just said something really interesting there and that was that the the motivations come from the backstory a little bit um for Mm -hmm. me that's that's something that i i need in my characters to really help me to color their decisions and their choices Without that backstory, it's it's really difficult for me to not just play them as me. 
Well, absolutely. And I think that that's, that does cause a problem, I think, with some people where they don't pay attention to their backstory also. And they do bring too much of themselves. I mean, we do bring part of ourselves, as you write, that happy-go-lucky at times, irrelevant. I mean, my viewpoint toward life is don't worry about stuff because if you're worrying about stuff, why are you worrying instead of doing something about it? And if you can't do anything about it, why are you worrying about it? You know, that, that's a lot of my own personal philosophy. It can be very productive, but it can also be very annoying to people around me at times. Um, <laughs> as Cornea can attest to. Um, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we do carry parts of those, but I, but I am definitely going to you know, agree with legitimate mustard. Backstory is crucial. And I think a lot of times that that's ignored in a lot of role playing games. Or you go in and you have very minimal backstory. So what do and you think us, of we have all backstory? So so when you're talking about backstory, do you prefer to have it provided for you or do you prefer to, to write it yourself? It would depend on the scenario. I'm ambivalent to either one. But I think you need to have a rich backstory because that is going to show you motivation guideline of your actions. Um, it can be, I can provide it or the DM can provide it. It can go either way, but it needs to be well fleshed out. Not just, hi, you're a group gotten together and you're going into this dungeon to kill these things. So Kel Ronan, I consider you to be a pretty good um, role player. What's your uh, opinion on backstory and whether it should be written by you or provided to you? Uh, I I think that it should be, at very minimum, should be inspired by you. Uh, having to write, writing your own backstory often results in you playing yourself, even if you don't want to, or, or playing somebody uh, who you would have been if just like two or three different things were different in this fantasy setting. Um, so, simply, like, providing some rough concept of what you want to play and letting somebody else write it for you even if they're not involved in the in the campaign itself mostly the dm so that they can most likely the dm though because that they can incorporate it into the world a little bit better right that's i think that helps significantly yeah um and i think that's critical too because like the dm does need to make sure that like plot hooks fit with your character and that sort of thing so they should have some some part in it for sure yes um but if you I, i've found that if uh at least if i write my own backstory it doesn't turn out to be uh something super uh complicated or or, or really super uh difficult to play from a from an acting perspective right yeah no i totally get that i mean it you, it's really easy to write to who you are, right? Exactly. So, Gus, what about what? What about you? Um, I know you don't have a whole bunch of experience with this, but what have you thought about the process of the character building part, um, specifically with backstory? Does your character have a lot of backstory right now? Um. So, like, as a new player coming in, it um. Like, it was definitely interesting trying to create it. I agree that, like, the character that I picked um, is one that I feel like I kind of can relate to. Um, And then as far as the backstory, I wrote one. But now that I know more about the campaign and, like, I've kind of developed the character in my head a little bit, like, I think I would like to add to it. 
and I, I think I want to incorporate like the backstory more because I'm not sure that I've really done that, like as far as how it influences my character's actions. Yeah, so, no, I, I totally get that. So you've got kind of a, a framework of a backstory, but you're kind of looking at this point maybe towards fleshing out some of those those aspects of of um, the history. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like when I made the backstory, I kind of came up with something and like, I don't, I don't know. I think I just want to revisit it um, now that I know like more about D&D in general too, because I kind of came into role playing. I'd never done it before. So um, now that I have an idea of like what we're doing here, um, like I just want to make it better, kind of make it more making sense. Yeah, that makes sense. What kind of things do you think are the most important to incorporate into um, a backstory at this point with your in your experience now? I think just incorporating things that will um, influence like your character and the way that they um, think about things and what they do, um, and then also a backstory that like your character can talk about and yeah. So that's pretty much where I'm at right now. I'm sure that I will gain even more understanding as I move along. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're really, I think you're really catching on to some really key, key points there. And what you just said there is kind of that, um, like character history and having things to talk about. Um, you know, that's part of the whole world building thing. Um, which I think is super fun when you get to, you know, D and D has, um, really interesting opportunities for like downtime for, for characters where, um, you know, you're sitting around at a, at a, at an inn or something. Or maybe you're around a campfire and you're talking about experiences that your characters had. And those can be something that is fleshed out in, in your, um, your, uh, your character's backstory. Or they can be things that you create on the fly. Um, for me, those things are really fun to just kind of make up as I go. Based on the framework that I have for um, my character from, from their backstory. But... You know, that's a that's a starting point, and then I can kind of make additional things and create a more rich backstory um, throughout the game. It makes the character a lot of fun, uh, and it makes role playing really fun because I have the opportunity to kind of on the fly create those things. And I think if I could submit, it's not just backstory that's history of your background; it's also personality traits and how you react to other ones and that's a very important part of backstory like when i was creating mine i had a discussion with the dm um, my character has basically lived in an academic element environment his whole life he hasn't left until now so basically what i got told from the dm was you know you're we're discussing character traits now reacting was you're racially stereotyping you know basically i'm going to assume all dwarves are basically this gruff unkept things i'm going Yes, that's absolutely correct, because my character had never left an elven academic setting, so that would actually fit very well into what he's saying. Uh, the big discussion we had was, you know, the halflings were actually a big part of a discussion there. And the reason being, you know, when we were saying what races were, I said, what can I ask, are these perfectly formed halflings, or are they, you know, the big feet halflings? And... and from an elven standpoint, that varies symmetry. And this is where I take the personality backstory. That's very critical because if this is the perfectly formed halfling, which is just really short, 
the elven response was that oh these this is really cute and adorable it's like this perfectly little form thing whereas if it's the hobbit halfling which is the other one then the reaction toward it is going to be more along the line of the way you look at dwarves so to me that's all part of the backstory because that influences how you're just going to react to the other races and that's more than just what your character grew up as, what your race, what your background. But to me, that's also essential. Oh, I, I think so too. I'm curious, Cognac, um, you know, y- you and uh, Vig, uh, your characters are, are brother and sister, although they're not really brother and sister. They're half brother and sister, half. I'd say. Um, how does that play into your your character's backstory, how does that play into the way that your character experiences being an elf? Well, I I think she's learned a lot from her brother, but maybe as like a very older brother, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm in my hundreds and he's in his, what, 500s? Right? 549 and you're like 112 yeah. or 120. So Huge you're difference. much, much older than my character. Yeah. And also you seem to have the classic elven view of other races and Mm -hmm. people and how you react to them and how I'm seeing this character is that she has a different complexion than a lot of elves she acts a little different than other elves Mm -hmm. so maybe she was not treated as well when she was in school and learning with other elves and maybe she was bullied a bit and therefore that leads her to not look down on the other races like some elves do. She's pretty open with them, but sometimes she's wary of people that treat her wrong um, because of the bullying and things like that. So I, I think that it's an interesting thing where she looks up to her brother for someone that she can go to for the wisdom, but maybe not for things like a judge of character. She doesn't see him yeah. as an accurate guide for that. So that you're, just, you're describing a really excellent, uh, it's a really excellent description of using backstory as a way of coloring um, choices mm-hmm. and interactions and all of those things, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and like I said, as I said, our characters are way apart in years. So Vig will basically look at her. I mean, to say a little sister, yes, but a protective little sister that can beat the crap out of Vig and everyone else. Let me put it that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's really the kind of relationship. And the fact is, it's a half-sister. Or it's it's a half-sister, half-brother. So Vig's also looking at her a bit going, not quite. But yes, but I still look after you as my little sister. But you got a lot of odd tendencies there yeah she does she definitely does mm-hmm. All right. I think you're gonna see I think you're gonna see that grow a lot more though uh, the difference between those two characters the brother and sister we really haven't started playing that out yet yeah do you think that'll play out with the similarities or do you think it'll play out more with the differences yes mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know... think our similarities though I think that's yeah. going to be really important because Jazz doesn't have anyone else really like her here. We have Evelyn, who's a half-elf, but she is so authoritarian that Jazz just can't form a bond with her. She's going to have to rely on Vig, and if Vig turns her down, then who knows who she's going to have to re- rely on. Well, and, and Evelyn might 
think interestingly of um, Jazz also once more of the backstory kind of comes out on that um, metagaming pretty significantly here um, Jazz has some interesting characteristics um, that other characters may or may not really like that much so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out Yeah, I think I think some of the interesting characters would go across the board on how we play them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Kalaronin, what um, what was your character's motivation for the um, impromptu stick their head in the dirt defensive maneuver? Oh, <laughs> well. Uh... My character is used to being in the woods, uh, particularly around burrowing animals and uh, talking with them a lot. And he basically was like, oh, shoot. And uh, having talked to so many burrowing animals, he sort of took a took a defensive posture that they would have. By diving into the dirt and trying to hide under right. a quarter inch of snow. <laughs> yes. Not terribly effective, but you know. I don't know. It reduces the attack surface significantly. That should be worth an improvement of a little bit of an AC. It probably. Uh, I don't think snow really covers, uh, really deflects arrows or swords that well. But, but I mean, a smaller <laughs> attack area. I mean, it's just the tip of your head as opposed to your torso. So that should be worth something. They'll they they could get an idea of where my torso is quite easily by seeing my feet and my head. Yep. Yep. It'd be interesting if uh, if I had actually been able to cover myself in the snow and then crawl underneath the snow for a little bit, but there was definitely not enough of that. <laughs> not enough, no. I'm surprised there wasn't enough grass for you to... Although the grass may have been kind of, like, pushed over by the weight of snow or that sort of thing. But yeah, sure. it's not like this is a mown lawn or a well... Um, well nurtured uh, or uh, yeah, harvested field or anything. We definitely weren't working or walking across a, a golf course or anything like that. This is like grassland. <laughs> so, um, I have a question for you guys. So, so we encountered a brewer um, in, in this campaign, and there was there were three sons and this lady seemed like she had like a lot of knowledge and she made a ton of alcohol for everyone and i just i feel like we might have missed something crucial there because we just purchased alcohol from her and we got some information but not a ton do you think that there was anything we missed when we were there oh there was tons tons there was tons I think it was very significant that one of the sons was the most busy, but also seemed to be damaged in some way. I think that was very significant. Not sure how or why, but I think that that was a plot hook of some sort. Um, The other two sons were kind of uh, supervisors, I guess. Um, It's kind of what it looked like to me. I think that was probably significant in some way. Um, The volume of alcohol being produced... Um, at this place maybe significant in some way or may not you know um, it may be that uh, just it takes a long time to make aged alcohol so you have to create 
a, a large volume of it and you have to store it for a long time while you're while it's being aged um, and so maybe that's just a necessity but it seemed like there was a pretty large volume of alcohol being produced so um, oh they're boot they're bootlegging it across the river to fifth year come on be. that's a given could be. that's a given it's a good thing to trade definitely Oh, yeah. I, I, I think, Koenig, with what you're saying, I mean, the question becomes, in terms of role-playing, do we miss a lot? Yes. But what was the motivation for our characters to go in there? Was it to ask questions? In the case of Vig, the motivation was, I like the smell of this alcohol. Let's go buy some. Yeah, My that... character was not there to ask, ask questions at all. So as a player, I know there were hooks being dropped like crazy, and I know there was a lot of things I could ask. But that's as a experienced player as a character i couldn't ask those questions because that's not why my character walked in there and, and my character didn't care about that yeah sometimes that's really frustrating when there's something that you you as a as a player recognize and you're just you can't react to it because of your character because of the way your character is for whatever reason um that's happened a few times with not as much in this campaign but with one of the other campaigns um my my character uh, uh, what's it what was his name <laughs> Corsus nope the other one or uh, oh my goodness <laughs> guy who lived in the um, in dwarven lands but wasn't a dwarf but was a dwarf yep. not really uh, Valor like the main character <laughs> Valor there we go yeah Valor <laughs> many 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 times there were things that happened that I wanted to react to in some way, but Valor wouldn't. And, you know, you, you just... I mean, I guess you could react to them, but that wouldn't be very true to the character. And at that point, are you really role-playing or are you just, you know, playing a video game at that point? Yeah. My solution to those as, as Diff was I became extremely silly. Yeah, yep. I feel like you're getting there with Vig too. <laughs> yeah, not as much. No, not as, not as much. No. Vig, not Vig, yet. Vig is older and an academic bred, but however, Vig is totally confused right now. He cannot comprehend how these elves that are here in Halfos don't want to go back to Elfhaven. Like, really? Why? Yeah, Elfhaven don't... is so wonderful. That's where the elves are. So Why wouldn't you want to be there? Yeah. Exactly. You play that up. Yeah, yeah and sure. Vig is totally confused by this right now. It makes absolutely no sense to him why these elves would choose to live here. Going to play it up more. Makes sense to me. So I think we're at time right now, um, and that's all I've got for World of Koth Players Podcast. Thanks to everybody for hanging out after the session. We'll talk again in a week. Good night, everybody. Good night.